welcome to Language Policy Consulting Chats. My name is Dr. Xiomara Rivera Pagan, and today we talk to my sister, Rum Distiller Crystal Rivera Pagan. We get into how siblings can have different language experiences, how recognizing our own language ideologies has helped us to grow and empower us as multilinguals, and how language plays out everywhere, including in a rum distillery. Enjoy today's conversation with my amazing sister, Cristal Rivera Pagan. This is my sister. Um, can you present yourself? Because I think that it's excellent when people present themselves and all of their accomplishments. My name is Crystal Rivera Pagan. And I am uh, professionally a distiller and co-founder over at Puerto Rico Distillery located in Frederick, Maryland. Um, So I co-founded the business with my partner and father, Angel Rivera. That's my day job um, and my passion. Uh, Aside from that, anything uh, Puerto Rico related, bomba plena, all that stuff, tends to be my hobbies and my interests. That's beautiful. Yes, I agree. I have the same interest. And uh, for those who are seeing this on any of the visual platforms, I hope it's not too confusing. We do have the same face, um, but I think it's also super interesting because we have very different experiences when it comes to the language world. So I think it'll be cool to have this conversation as the first conversation um, of language policy consulting chats in order to introduce what uh, language policy consulting chats is going to be about and also to give you a little background about me and while we're at it about this distiller Crystal Rivera Pagan. Um, so we'll talk about so what do you think? What am I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's great. I think we're getting into origin stories and uh, kind of like how the how this language policy monster is created. So we're, we're getting into it. Good. Um, all right. So when I was getting feedback on these language policy consulting chats, one of the feedback points that I got from our father and your partner um, was that it would be nice to have some sort of a background on what language policy consulting chats is going to be about. And then I thought we could also kind of get into some of the questions that you're gonna hear in these language policy consulting chats, but then maybe I ask you, you ask me, we talk about it a little bit, um, especially because we've lived in the, the same path of life and yet we have very different experiences, which, speaks a lot to the individual experiences of every language learning environment or multilingual home. Mm -hmm. Um, So language policy consulting chats is really going to focus on linguistic diversity and language research and really the personal experiences that kind of integrate all of that together because I think that it's fantastic when um, you can engage those personal experiences into the research, those personal experiences into the policy. We speak a lot in language policy consulting on the blog and in different spaces about ideologies and attitudes and beliefs or orientations, the directions that you take in terms of embracing or restricting spaces for multilingualism. And so what I think is gonna make this conversation and these conversations more meaningful is actually seeing how they manifest in real life. So Mm -hmm. it's um, one thing to say that language policy exists and it's another thing to say, oh, I had experiences with this ideology when this happened to me. So I'm hoping- Yeah, I think, especially when you're hearing like the chats conversationally, uh, I think it's gonna help because you're gonna get different perspectives. A lot of times people speak from exclusively their own perspective. They really only can. 
but they do, they talk in absolutes because that's all they know. So if I'm talking in absolutes, like, you know, this is all that ever happens, but I only lived my one life, then what I'm saying is true, but someone else's perspective and experiences is also true and valid. Exactly. So I'm hoping that the more points of view that we have, the more that we get to see um, how all of this actually plays out and it's not theoretical anymore so much mm -hmm. as practical and maybe when it plays out because it plays out constantly we can say oh that that's what's happening I see yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so one of the com one of the questions that I start with and I'm going to start with you and then you can bounce it back um, is what is your experience with language slash languages mm -hmm. um, from younger self to now? So um, I was born in Puerto Rico. And so uh, on the island, you're hearing Spanish all the time. Um, by the time that we left, when I was about a year old, um, we were stateside and when it's time for babies to start talking, I actually had a speech delay. So language in general, like I am already kind of behind the eight ball. Um, and um, so even though I'm hearing Spanish, I'm hearing English everywhere else, um, the doctors out of concern for my falling behind uh, recommended that the parents um, stick to English so that I would actually start speaking. So I think my first language is really uh, English just because they made them choose. Uh, I'm pretty sure that nowadays that's not the recommended uh, practice. And no, so this is an excellent example of where language research meets actual practical experiences. So when, when individuals are learning multiple languages, especially as they are learning languages in general, there can be a delay in oral speech mm -hmm. and that has nothing to do with a child's ability or a baby's ability to eventually speak languages. In fact, they can be simultaneous bilinguals and they can acquire both languages at the same time if um, families and are guided by professionals to create that space. Um, there are a lot of misguided professionals in all spaces, educators, speech language pathologists that are amazing. And there are some that, especially back in the day, we got to contextualize this. I'm not going to age you, but this was a while ago. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> now we know better, we do better, but I think that that is especially interesting because, you know, I, I too was born in Puerto Rico, but I started to speak while we were still on the island. And so mm -hmm. my first language was Spanish, but then my dominant language became English because of what Crystal just mentioned that we went to the United States and that's the dominant language. And um, it was, it went in a different direction for us, but keep going right. on your language journey, my darling. Yeah, so so I go from a speech delay to pretty much speaking full sentences, um, and uh, but all the while I'm hearing Spanish at home, and uh, even though verbally, uh, at least when I'm communicating, um, I don't feel secure in the language. Uh, as I'm growing up, uh, there there came to be an insecurity about speaking Spanish. Uh, I'm hearing it and I'm able to understand almost all of it. Um, so there, there's the, uh, a gap between what I'm hearing and understanding uh, and what I'm actually able to communicate or comfortable at least. Uh, it, it, it essentially is years later when I get to a point where I feel comfortable enough to make mistakes and to like get over that hurdle. Uh, so now uh, I speak Spanish, I still speak um, and make mistakes, but I am comfortable embracing that in order to um, get to uh, a point where, yeah, exactly, and to get to a point where um, it's, it's my language, the same way that English is my language. So I'm embracing the two. 
um, going through childhood when they when you're in middle school and in high school uh, you also get to a point where you uh, are supposed to pick a different language um, to usually it's the French or Spanish sometimes um, your school may offer Italian or, or Chinese whatever um, and although I wanted to take the Spanish class for some reason the school didn't want to let me uh, I think the argument made was that Spanish would be too easy for me and that I should take French. Um, didn't make sense uh, and I should have pushed back on it. Uh, I really wish that, um, that I did um, because no one says, oh, you, you speak English so you don't need to take English classes. <laughs> uh, I d definitely may have spoke Spanish at home, but I didn't know the the grammar behind it and uh, who like just because I speak Spanish at home informally doesn't mean I don't want to be able to speak it properly. Um, so I took French uh, for let's see uh, about uh, five, five years um, middle school to high school. Um, and then in college for a brief time uh, I studied abroad in Italy. That was primarily driven because of my desire to explore the food, um, but I did learn a little bit of Italian uh, in that sense. Uh -huh. um, so you oh, and ASL, I forgot. Uh, since moving to Frederick, I've always had the interest, but uh, I've always uh, wanted to learn American Sign Language. And now that we have been in Frederick, which has a, a significant um, deaf uh, and hard of hearing population, um, I've actually had more opportunities to um, practice and to learn and speak with my clientele at the distillery. Which, I mean, that definitely, and we'll get into it, that definitely goes to show what we talk about in terms of ideologies and the orientations, but um, to stay, to stay in your world uh, about language learning, isn't it interesting that, I mean, this entire time we were growing up together and we were going to pretty much the same schools and you were discouraged from taking, taking the language and for whatever reason I was either allowed to or, or I'm not even sure what the case is. So is it's I find it very interesting and also unfortunate when students aren't uh, so I'm a Spanish teacher um, at Howard Community College. Um, I teach an adjunct course over there and I've been a Spanish teacher pretty much uh, my entire career. And one of the most unfortunate things is when either A, students are not encouraged to take their home language because quote unquote, it'll be too easy as though there's this expectation that if you speak it at home, you're doing all things. You're reading, you're writing, you're speaking, you're listening, da, 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 da. Um, so that's, that's unfortunate because if a student, obviously you had the interest in your home language and you didn't have the opportunity to play around with that in a, a different setting or to like model the fact that you knew, like, why, why would you, you wouldn't be like, oh, you're, you're just like killing it in, in, in algebra. Well, then just don't take it. Yeah. <laughs> you're really good at algebra. Don't take it. Don't take it. Just go to geometry. You got it. Like, you so you don't do that with anything else. You don't say you're really good at it, so don't do it. Um, but then I also think that it's interesting that we had like alternative experiences because I remember being in Spanish class. And um, so I like you, we, we spoke Spanish at home, but we also, we spoke Spanish, we spoke Spanglish, we spoke English and yeah. we were, for a while there, um, speaking a lot of English. And so when we went into the Spanish class, I remember learning, oh, this is silly, but I, I remember learning usted and I had never heard of usted. Like, right, why would um, you? If you're speaking with family exclusively, there's no need for the formal. 
Exactly. So for those listening, usted is just a form of you that you would use in a more formal, more formal quote unquote setting or to show respect for a certain um, individual listener or whatever. And I remember the conjugations for usted was like, what is happening? <laughs> I didn't know it. I didn't practice it. And then comes the, and everybody who speaks a, a language other then the dominant language who's in the class for it has probably had this experience of, you don't know, I thought you spoke. Mm -hmm. And then there's all sorts of, you know, shame or frustration that's associated with that. Um, and so there was a while where um, either, either in my language journey, I either went in and was like, well, I think that initially in my language journey, I kind of like stayed away. I was like anxious about, mm, uh, I'm going to make mistakes. And I felt like I was going to not be blank enough, not be mm -hmm. Puerto Rican enough, not be Latina enough, not be who I was supposed to be enough. That's a whole bag of worms. <laughs> and then... I remember thinking like, no, I got, I, this is like a big piece of who I am, this language piece. Um, so I wanted to get a grip on it. So I went in the other direction and I was like, I'm going to become a Spanish teacher. <laughs> I mean, initially it was, I'm going to become a Spanish teacher because I want to be in the situation, in the most uh, immersed situation where I had to, like, mm -hmm. I speak Spanish if you are a Spanish teacher. I could have also probably went to a, uh, a particular environment or community or country that had that as the predominant, but there are tons of communities within the United States that are predominantly Spanish speaking. In fact, I started my career in Annapolis Middle School and uh, Annapolis has a very significant Latino population, which I didn't even know that until I started teaching over there. So I think that that was an excellent experience, but it was definitely one of those like where you have to be vulnerable and the, the, anyone that's so uncomfortable, the vulnerability. Oh, <laughs> it's the worst. And that's why, that's why I love to learn about this. I love to learn about, um, about these systems, about how language is learned, about uh, everything that it entails to be a multilingual if you so choose to identify that way because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of this is like very covert or like people people don't want to be talking about it and then all of a sudden you learn about it and you're like wait <laughs> so that yeah, I feel like I'm glad that you went into this profession because I have secondhand gotten to benefit from all of your research and, and everything that you have been able to get into. You bring home and you're like, did you know? Or I just found out. And I'm like, I have sneaking suspicion. Uh, like uh, the, the, the things that shape us, uh, I, I feel like it's interesting how we both react to them. I, I feel like I, in a similar sense, I didn't necessarily pick my profession out of it, although you could say that because I'm distilling pitojo or rum uh, that I ended up getting steered in that direction, but I did, I definitely picked my university based off of that. Like when I was going to get my undergrad, I was this close to going to uh, the UP, uh, University of Puerto Rico, uh, just because I wanted to be like immersed in it. And then I was like, ooh, that's, that's like, that's a lot. I don't know. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> uh, so I backed down a little bit, um, but I ended up going to Florida International University down in Miami. Huge, huge population over there. You could essentially get away with living your entire life there, speaking only Spanish and be perfectly fine. Um, and, and that's when I went in on speaking Spanish, making mistakes and, and practicing. Um, but I also came home with a Cuban accent. 
Um, so I got a little teased <laughs> from uh, when I came back with a Cuban accent. Um, but, but it was definitely that, that, that draw, that, um, that search um, yeah. for, for the culture and for the language and for that connection. Yeah, no, and, and that's super interesting because, you know, the, the different ways of speaking Spanish is, is super cool. And at the same time, it's definitely like an indicator of like, oh, you sound like this particular place. Mm-hmm. So she, that, that conversation of you sound like this, that's interesting uh-huh. <laughs> because you were surrounded by that particular way of speaking Spanish, which is really cool because it, so it, I went to school at Towson University and conversely, <laughs> speaking English to English, right? So I was with a bunch of my girlfriends, my, my best friends in college, they're all from New Jersey or New York, Long Island. And so I remember that I had more than a few people mention to me like, are you from up North? Are you from New Jersey? Are you from New York? And I was like, no, I just, uh, I'm surrounded by it. So that yeah. is, that is another piece that I find so interesting in the way that it for some well, and it might have to do with the fact that people are more mobile now. Like, and we we're we're mobile as can be. We're Navy brats, and so we were always going into these different places. So I remember, like, every time we moved, I would notice a different way of speaking, a different way of. Um, either a different accent, mm-hmm. different varieties of speaking, either English or Spanish or a- any any certain language. And I thought like, hmm. And you know that, what is it called? You want, you, you're trying to figure out how to survive. It's like a survival mm-hmm. instinct. Yeah. So you're like, okay, so in order for me to get around here, what do I need to say? What do I need to sound like? What do I need to do? you you start to get a bigger appreciation for them if it's even a conscious decision i think sometimes a, a lot of times it's mm-hmm. subconscious um tosh my wife um we were just in hawaii and um she is a sponge when it comes to accent so when she gets on the phone with her mom she very quickly gets a southern accent <laughs> uh or if she's drinking um and um, but at the same time, she um, spent some time in Laredo, Texas, uh, which um, there's a, a very strong Mexican influence, obviously. Um, so she, when she speaks Spanish, it's a Mexican accent. Um, and when we went to Hawaii, her, somehow a lot of uh, the local people were uh, mistaking her for an islander, a Hawaiian. And she was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm like, I'm listening to you. She doesn't even realize that she's doing it, but she is picking up their accent very quickly. And yeah, which is, which is super cool, especially if you get to like notice that, that there's potential there. Right. Yeah. Because I think the, I mean, if you sound one way, that's great. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. And if you get to start to tune in and play around with different ways of saying things and different ways of being like, how great is that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that's definitely something that I find to be super interesting, whether or not it's being playful with the language or being intentional about like trying to make yourself feel comfortable, trying to make other people feel comfortable. That's, that's a really interesting thing to know when you are in either diverse spaces or even in your own space when someone comes to you to be able to receive that in a positive and resourceful way is very different than I don't understand you you know (laughs) right so and uh, I remember for the longest time Ma would always say like oh you can't understand me like that's my accent and I would like that's like her humor and just like being silly and also probably to a certain extent like a little bit of a coping mechanism to because you know she for those who don't know her she's fantastic she's amazing she's brilliant she's beautiful 
And um, she came here when she was a young adult and she was acquiring English at a, a later age. And so she does have a little bit of an accent, which I remember growing up, I, I wanted like I was like ooh, that's so cool like that's what an indicator of the fact that you're from Puerto Rico but apparently you know it's not always easy and I can I can get that and especially I, back then yeah exactly now now we have more conversations about like diversity and you know not being a jerk but <laughs> you know back in the day they didn't have as many and I remember telling her like we all have access, like this was after like all of my growing and learning and working through my language stuff. I was like, we all have accents. We all have different ways of speaking. I, I want you to embrace the fact that you, you sound the way that you do because it's amazing. She was like, you know what? You're right. Mm -hmm. Since then, I don't know if she said it, but I, I haven't heard her say it, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of our language journey. I wonder if, and this is a fun one, this is something that I've been asking people in our conversations. Do you have any standout language memories? Uh... A language is a constant, so it's kind of hard to pick out just one. Um, definitely, uh, my my story earlier as to um, to. So let me contextualize it for you a little bit. So it, we, especially in the last blog post, we talked a little bit about the different ideologies, the different attitudes that people can have in terms of language. Um, and so language is a problem when you see either accents or different ways of speaking, different language varieties or anything to do with language. If you see it as like, oh, this is a barrier we're going to have to get over. Um, I, actually, one of yours comes to mind, but it's not for language as a problem. Um, language is a right where you are thinking about um, the human rights of individuals and in order for individuals to have human rights and access to um, the same thing that either dominant language speakers or, you know, hearing individuals or seeing individuals in order to create equity and access, you are making sure that you are mindful of language mm -hmm. or language as a resource where you value it, you see the additive nature, you want to incorporate it in your spaces, in your way of being, because you not only see the right to it, but you also see that it can add to your way of being or mm -hmm. your space. So what are the, uh, with that in mind, one of the things that comes to mind is, um, my one of my first jobs, uh, which was at Noodles and Company, I was in a um, a culinary um, slash restaurant uh, management program back in high school, and um, just to get my my foot in the door, you know, when when you have nothing to put on your resume, it feels like you're like, how am I supposed to get a job when I have no past experience? I need a job to get a job. It feels like a vicious loop, um, but I get, <laughs> I get a job with Noodles and Company. Uh, and one of the selling points um, for me that uh, got me the job was that I spoke Spanish to some degree. I definitely wasn't uh, too far along in my, my journey, but um, the, the restaurant had um, some kitchen staff that didn't speak any English. And so the the manager had a hard time communicating with his own employees. I don't know how he got to the point where he was able to actually hire them if you couldn't really communicate, but he became dependent on me to um, communicate uh, with the, the guys in the back of the house. Um, and so that got my foot in the door, but it seemed like a, like they got secondhand treatment or afterthought treatment when there, there didn't seem to be any effort to be able to communicate with them aside from possibly bringing in someone that already had that. Uh, he wasn't making an effort um, by any means. Uh, so it, it 
was an example of um, what I was um, nervous about in, uh, in pursuing the restaurant industry. Um, when I first expressed interest, um, mom was not exactly happy about it. Um, there can be a stigma, um, but it can be a, a job that doesn't really have future potential. Um, but it's a stereotype of you're only gonna be a dishwasher um, and you're gonna be some stereotypical um, Latina that is stuck in the kitchen. Um, and and I, that, I think with that experience combined, made me nervous that that was potentially what I was uh, gonna be uh, experiencing and pursuing. Um, I, I had many more experiences in the restaurant industry uh, that proved otherwise, um, but it, it did um, give me that, the two sides of the coin. It gave me um, uh, a strength that I was having this, uh, this uh, skill sets and this language under my belt, but it also showed me this whole population that was not being able to be spoken for, really. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate. And I'm curious about the same thing. It's like, how did you go about hiring? How did that interview go? Yeah. And, and um, yeah, yeah, I have many questions. <laughs> I, um, the first memory that comes into my head about, especially specifically, I mean, language is a resource. Thankfully, um, it, as a language teacher, often you hear like the value of language and how wonderful, and you know, and people are advocating for it. Um, the question is, who are you advocating for? Right, mm -hmm. like, are you saying that that your language, even though you didn't necessarily feel confident, maybe part of the language when you were communicating with them was in Spanish and part of it, you might have to use other linguistic resources. Um, that, is that language? Mm -hmm valuable and is that language a resource um you know is the fact that right now you're learning asl and you're working towards proficiency but maybe you're not proficient yet is that or is it like the individuals who have already acquired a certain linguistic set if you speak english to a certain extent then you can get it mm -hmm. i uh, um and that actually happens a lot in school systems there's this like discrepancy uh, or this, this misunderstanding by some families that they're like, I don't want my child in any language support systems because they're going to, the teachers are gonna think that they aren't equipped to meet the demands of the school system. And I remember when we were in Pan Vidra and um, I, I don't know if you remember the story, but when we were in middle school, Literally, it was like day one, first day of school. And you know, um, you, you got a name that starts with an X. So here we go, here, we're doing roll call. And I, I was like mentally preparing for it. <laughs> and she got to my name and obviously had a hard time. The, the school had very little diversity. And when I went there, I don't know what it's like now, but she got to my name and it starts with an X. So she obviously panicked and we were already like through the R's. So I knew it was probably me. <laughs> and I was like, Siomara, Siomara Rivera. And all I said was my name. And she goes, do you speak English? Like, wow. All yeah, she I, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> All she, like, that when I think of language as a problem, I think that there are more examples of actually that sort of thing. It's not like she wasn't mad at me. She wasn't. No, it was the assumption though. That yeah, exactly. it was the implicit, uh, like A leads to B. Exactly. You have a, a name that's different. So you, do you even speak English? I was like, what? <laughs> do you? <laughs> like, why, why, why didn't you ask? 
Sally, if she spoke English, like she said as much as I have. Um, but I think that that's actually the thing that stands out in my head is that panic when you hear, <laughs> when you hear another language. And there's a certain, like, that makes sense to a certain extent. Like we all feel nervous when we are going to be in a space where maybe we're not as linguistically proficient or, you know, you are not as confident there is a sense of panic there, but like, are you addressing it in the way that it's like, mm, we got a problem here. Mm-hmm. Somebody get someone to speak to this person or we got to hire her because we got, you know, friends in the back and we need to communicate with them. Instead of saying like, how do I bridge that gap? Or right. how do I- where, where, where can I make a good faith effort to, yes, I, I will make mistakes along the way, but I'm showing an interest and I'm trying to meet you in some way mm-hmm. and, and there's value in that. And, and uh, I think it works both ways. I think some people do try to make that effort. And on the other end, sometimes if you're not speaking perfectly, perfectly, then it's offensive. And I think that there, sometimes if you're in, encountering that instance one time too many, then you shut down and you don't try ever again. Yeah. Like, if I make a mistake speaking Spanish, that and some jerk that assumes I should be perfect in my Spanish or, and bashes me on it. Well, which is another thing that I love to learn about with it is languages and the way that languages evolve. And it's not to say that there isn't like uh there isn't value in learning certain ways of speaking, but I think that it's gone in the extreme sense and there is this misguided perception that there's a right or there's a proper and that language isn't constantly evolving and I think that that for me was like uh, when I started to see examples of that and you see examples of that to a certain extent, like, for example, you know, you know that we're not out here speaking, even people who speak English aren't speaking Shakespeare's English. <laughs> right. right. So language is clearly changing. And yet we think that because we grew up or you spoke, uh, you speak a certain language for a certain amount of time that you have ownership over it and you get to tell people that they're right or wrong. Or there's this misguided notion that I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you because I know and you don't. And I know that I, I still train myself to, uh, Stop doing that. You know what I mean? Because I don't do that out loud anymore because I'm, we're growing, we're learning. And I'm like, you know what? No, that is being restrictive. Let someone talk, let someone express themselves, especially depending on if you're at brunch, what are you doing correcting me? Right. No, you're doing that so that you make yourself feel better so that you get to prove that you know or don't know. So did you understand me? Did, did the point come across? Exactly. Let's keep this conversation flowing. Exactly. And as a language teacher, uh, first of all, I am very, uh, very explicit about telling my students that if you are understood, then you are nailing it. You're doing the job. If you are working to get to a place where you are continuing to increase your proficiency so that you can continue to communicate with various different groups, then then you're doing a great job. But if you are listening to someone and you're like mentally correcting them or mentally judging them for the way that they're speaking, instead of listening to what they have to say, it's almost like a coping mechanism. And like society has such a hard time listening because we're trying to all make our point. And it's almost like by listening to um, what people are saying that sounds different from what you expect it to be, then you get to like validate in your head that, ah, see, I am so smart. 
instead of being like what are they saying what are they trying to communicate and if you disagree with their point that's a whole nother thing right um we are trained through years of misguided grammar lessons and also in different languages this is in english this is in language classrooms it's like this is what it sounds like to be right and then you go into different spaces and you're like, but these rules are made up. <laughs> these rules are made up. <laughs> so I think that like learning about that sort of thing, learning about the research, learning about these ideologies, learning about how, um, how language is used. This is a, a big piece of why I wanted to have more of these conversations is about learning to have more discussions about how language is used, usually by dominant groups in order to subordinate certain groups. And okay. when more people are aware of how language is used, not just as in like explicitly different what people believe to be different languages, but even within a language, language varieties. You know, when we were growing up, Spanglish was like, I mean, in our house, it was embraced because it wasn't- it's Well, our parents play by different rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I don't remember it ever being a thing, but I do remember, so I remember, um, by giving us like if we would say something in English he'd give it to us in Spanish but I didn't feel like it was like a no don't speak Spanglish it was more like a, this is how you say it in Spanish mm -hmm. yeah and so I think that that's different but when we were growing up a lot of people thought if you speak Spanglish um, you know then it's because you don't know one or the other it's not mm -hmm that you are actually doing brilliant things inside of your brain, which now research shows that that's what's going on. Yep. So I, I find it to be liberating to have more insight into these, the language research and the language policy, because a lot of times when we think of policy, I was actually looking it up, um, the definition of policy on Webster's dictionary lay it on me yeah <laughs> so i've seen uh, different different um descriptions in terms of policy especially in educational language policy which is what i mostly focused on but i was curious just like what does webster have to say since we consider webster this uh wait it's miriam webster isn't it yep miriam webster get it right or is it miriam <laughs> oh, that's, that's language for you. So the right emphasis on the right syllable. Exactly. <laughs> so it says prudence or wisdom in the management of affairs, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I kind of like that that description just because it's like just insight into how you do things, which is kind of the way. That was not what I was expecting. That, yeah, well, there's four definitions, so get ready. Okay. So, but, and But that's the way that I think of policy. Mm -hmm. that, that's more closely aligned with how I think of policy. The second one is kind of similar. It says management or procedure based primarily on material interests, okay. which speaks to, again, the way that policy orients according to how leadership wants it to be right mm -hmm. so people in power they manage certain individuals or certain constituents based primarily on their material interest mm -hmm. so that's super interesting when you start to think of that because i i mean personally when i used to think of policy i used to think like oh no these are these are written ideas that are put into place for the betterment of society and if it's in place it's because it's a good thing and i mean i think that we have seen i mean throughout history but especially i would say in the past 50 years how these uh regulations laws policies um are not necessarily in anyone's interest, except for the people who are putting- Are in power. 
-hmm. Exactly. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, the other definition is a definite course or method of action selected from among alternatives and in light of given conditions to guide and determine present and future decisions, which is just a crazy way of saying the way that you orient towards or away from what you believe in, in my opinion, right? I don't know. And then the last one, it says a high level overall plan, embracing the general goals and acceptable procedures, especially of a governmental body. That. I thought was interesting because in studying language policy, the majority of the times that an actual explicit language policy is put into place, like a policy that focuses on languages, that most often comes about when there's a quote unquote language problem. Uh. Okay, there's like, you speak a language and I speak a language and the government is trying to figure out, well, how do we do, how do we make a decision so that procedures can be enacted? Uh But I think if you are coming at it from that angle of like, now we have a problem, now we got to deal with it. Aren't you most likely going to have a certain mindset in how you deal with it. Like, let's right. go the easier way or let's go for the way that's easier for me because mm-hmm. I'm in power and this makes sense to me. Yeah. So in general, it, policy is basically structure, but uh, it has the potential of being so regimented and so strict that it, actually defines right, wrong, moral, immoral, you know, these clear divides of what's proper and what's improper. Mm -hmm. And and I think that by taking the step back, going back to just policy as structure, there are many different ways to go about it, different ways to to peel an apple. and, And maybe there's not a wrong way. There's just different ways. Well, that's, that's, well, it's not that there's a wrong way, but I'm going to, I'm going to push back. All right. As my darling partner says, <laughs> um, I'm going to push back because there's not a wrong way if you're saying that it's not possible, but there is a way that perpetuates certain inequities in well, order sure. to keep certain groups in their elitist position, right? Mm-hmm. And there are ways of um, approaching certain policies and certain decisions in a way that is not just... So part of the problem I find with the, the, the conversation about policies, it's like, well, we gotta make a decision because we need to print this out and it's gotta be in one language and da 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 but you can create structure and opportunity and have flexibility within that structure. I had an interview today and they asked me today, um, what does structure mean to you? And it's funny enough because I wasn't thinking about this, but I thought enough insight and enough information so that I can do a job and enough flexibility so that when things change or when things, uh, when a, a challenge comes about that I can then move in that direction. Things, everything should not stop when things change and things are constantly changing. Right. And so I don't, part of the problem is that policies are put into place and it's like, done nailed it and it's like uh, people are changing languages are changing demographics are changing needs are changing society is changing the environment's changing so yeah. how are how are these decisions not why, why wouldn't we continue right. to revisit them where is the nuance and, and grace exactly so i want to have more frequent conversations so that we are hopefully inspired 
to look into it more, to have more thoughts about it, to be more critical about how is language appearing in spaces? Because, and this is full circle, for example, a space like your distillery, it, it has not written out the policy, the language policy. You oh, guys yeah. have not sat down and said, this is what we believe about languages and this is the way that we are going to orient towards or away from creating spaces for multilingualism. You guys haven't done that. And yet you make decisions based on languages mm -hmm. all the time. Whether it's someone coming into your distillery and saying something in a language that you either um, is a language variety, a variety of English or Spanish or maybe a completely different language. During the um, pandemic, I remember, well, we're still in the pandemic. <laughs> Early pandemic. Early pandemic, yep. So I remember you being very thoughtful about making sure that you had the the clear masks mm -hmm. because you wanted to make sure that if you had customers that read lips or that with the amount of sign language that you do speak, if you couldn't communicate as efficiently as you wanted to, that you could at least do more to create space and create communication. And right. It, it was a frequent enough thing that I was thinking, okay, trying to learn language, I'm not going to learn that quick enough. So if they lip read, hopefully that will help. Um, there's all, I had extra notepads and, and pens so that we could write back and forth. Um, I, I at times would type it out on a computer because uh, I can type faster than I can write. Um, but so, but I, was, I was trying to always come up with different varieties of tackling that. Because uh, I, especially with Frederick being our home, I didn't want to make anyone feel like this was not for them, you know? Uh, I wanted them to know that I, they were, were not only welcome, they were wanted there. And um, I, I know that when people uh, try to speak Spanish, um, that, that it's appreciated. Um, so I had plenty of people that even though I was very beginner, uh, still am, I would say beginner with uh, ASL, that they were very appreciative of the fact that I was interested and active in learning um, because I wanted to make this a space that was for them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of my, an excellent example of what I mean by whether or not you are being explicit about writing, this is what we believe about language, or this is how we work with languages, you're making decisions. And that, that's an excellent example of how you embraced an opportunity to create space for um, this particular community. And I uh, want people to see that there's opportunities like that all of the time. Mm -hmm. I've had people, especially um, as I'm starting language policy consulting, that they say, well, why, why would we need a language policy if all of our customers speak English? And I, I mean, that, that's, first of all, what kind of English? Right. What, what kind of English? And also maybe all your customers speak English because customers that don't speak English don't Feel comfortable going in and yeah exactly that's that's exactly the second part it's like um your inputs reveal your outputs like it makes sense that <laughs> this is the case and that's that's fine if you are trying to limit and and restrict access for a certain group of people but you don't have to necessarily um you know completely be proficient in a language in order to start to learn about what your community needs, right? Mm -hmm. You're not learning all languages. You are in Frederick and in Frederick, there is a particular, there is a very significant um, deaf or hard of hearing community. And so you are making the effort to create space for your community, for right. your same community to come in. And that's kind of what I want to encourage 
individuals to do to be more thoughtful about how language is used in their spaces? What are you seeing? Who are you seeing? What are you hearing? What varieties are you hearing? How are you creating space for them so that they feel comfortable and welcome instead of tolerated? Like, oh no, you're, I mean, if you can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you guys are an excellent example and it's not just because you're my family, but yeah, exactly. You, you guys are doing, doing the work. Um, so as we round out, these last questions are definitely my favorite and they are repeat questions. We'll hear them on uh, these conversations, the language policy consult, uh, consulting chats. Um, the second to last question is, what do you wish that your younger self would have known about languages? That it's okay to make mistakes. That, that um, there, there is no other way but through. Um, you can't look cool and, and be perfect from the from the jump so making mistakes is all part of the process and there's no other way around it so uh, you're only delaying the inevitable by uh by, by waiting or putting it off i was thinking i wish i would have known that so much sooner uh, for real for you know, <laughs> that's part of why i'm like guys anyone who hears this know that like I, I was thinking about specifically this morning, I make mistakes in, in language and in other things. And you don't think twice about it okay. when you feel confident in something, right? Like I make mistakes in English and in Spanish and it doesn't matter how confident I am. I'm gonna continue to make mistakes because I, because I'm a human. Right. <laughs> if you are living your life, you are going to make mistakes. And yet, because we're confident in it, we don't even think twice. You don't think twice to, to speak to someone that you feel comfortable with in a, a language variety that you feel comfortable with. You don't even think about it because you think, okay, I, I'm doing the best that I can. And what's my objective to communicate? I'm gonna communicate and they're going to either not judge me or judge me as little as possible. <laughs> Hashtag family. Right? So I, I, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, there's so many times. Today I had an interview and I had the interview in Spanish and it was the first time, no, it was the second time that I had gotten interviewed in Spanish, but it was the first time that I had gotten interviewed in Spanish in Puerto Rico with a Puerto Rican Spanish speaker, because in my mind, I can say, oh no, no, we, that's how we say it in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Which again, just goes to show that it's all made up. Anyways, um, so I, I didn't have that excuse. I, I had to like, just, you know, and I went in there and I did my best. And there were parts that came out in English and they understood me just fine. And by not being so freaked out about staying in uh, whatever I thought that they expected from me, I was allowed to like play around with being more of my personality and more of myself. And I think that that showed them something more important than did I get the verb conjugation right? Or did I say it the way that they saw it? I think that they were like, you know what? She seems like a kind person. And isn't that what we want to deal with right. most of the time? So what, what do I wish that I would have known about language? I think it's that. I, I think that it's that there's no such thing as um, being without mistakes. Mm -hmm that there's no such thing. So why even worry about it to the point where you are shutting yourself down from opportunities? In fact, I, when I make what I believe is a mistake or you know, I learn something about the language or about any language, I'm like, oh, 
and I start to see it and make connections. And it's like that little meme with the, the math going over. The calculations. Okay, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's how, okay. And then it sticks in your brain and you don't make that mistake again, but you're going to make some other mistake because at the end of the day, you're communicating with different people in different ways. And so I, I wish that I would have given myself more grace. And I try to remind myself of that now. Mm-hmm. Every time I try or I'm anxious about a speaking situation, I'm like, okay, I, there's just no way to be perfect. Like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't expect myself to be perfect in any other circumstance. Why would I expect myself to be perfect in a speaking situation, either in a different language or even in a presentational speaking? Right. No, right now I'd love I'd love to sound brilliant. I'd love to sound <laughs> perfect. I'd love to sound effortless and and um the best version of my speaking self and I'm making mistakes. And it's okay. But you got pearls and that's the important thing. Exactly. Exactly. How do you learn? How do you grow? How do you become the linguistic repertoire? that you're supposed to be if you limit yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it, the only reason that you're, that, that I limit myself, that I'm sure many people do, is fear of failure, um, fear of embarrassment, of judgment. And, and in reality, anyone that's judging you, it says more about them than it does about yourself. Um, so I try to remind myself of that. Exactly. If they have a limited mindset, then they're a bozo. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's my takeaway from today's conversation. If you don't appreciate all of this linguistic knowledge and ability, and uh, you know, embracing of all of my linguistic assets, then you're a bozo, and I am going to have to carry on being all of this linguistic amazingness. There you go. So words to live by. I need a shirt. Um, The last question is, what is your language policy? So um, I, uh, we've talked today about essentially that it's just either the structure, the flexibility to do what you believe in and embrace um, community in whatever way that you see fit. And so specifically within the language space, and I want to have more conversations that kind of demystify language policy and just show that every time that you have an opportunity to engage in language, you're practicing some form of language policy. Mm -hmm. We need to be thoughtful about how we want to approach those moments so that you can be purposeful in creating space, hopefully. So so you're asking what my policy is? I'm asking what your language policy is, girlfriend. My my policy is that my one non-negotiable is uh, respect. So if that if in a conversation mistakes are being made, um, effort is being made, um, but the communication is respectful, that's a successful conversation. That communication, when done respectfully and with love, that's a win. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's the best kind of policy. Short, sweet, and to the point. <laughs> yes, um, I think my language policy is language is valuable individuals have the right to use the language that they feel creates opportunity for them and that conversations should be like that respectful and purposeful and there have been some linguistic communities that have been left out of the conversation And if we need to uplift those communities in order to create more equitable space, then we need to do that. 
And we do that by promoting multilingualism in all of its assets and especially by being purposeful in creating that space for those either linguistic minorities or linguistic uh, communities that deserve the space. So mm -hmm. language is a resource, language is a right. Give me the languages, we promote them, especially in an equitable way. I love it. Yeah, I think it's good. I think, and guess what? I'm a work in progress. That language policy is a work in progress. And I hope that a year from now, I have refined it. It is more in tuned and more aligned with what I know and um, the direction that I want to go. So uh -huh. it, I know that it's not necessarily perfect. And in an effort to demonstrate that I am for the cause, I am learning and there is room to grow. So we'll keep revisiting this. I look forward to it. So we're gonna have more conversations because you're my favorite person to talk to. <laughs> um, but I want for anyone who is either in the DMV area who wants to visit your distillery and or anybody who wants to follow your distilling journey or the distillery's journey, I want you to share all of the platforms so that um, friends can follow all the fun things you're doing. Thank you. Yes, uh, you can find us at PuertoRicoDistillery.com. Um, social media is all along that theme. So um, Puerto Rico Distillery uh, on Facebook, at Puerto Rico Distillery, all spelled out on Instagram. Twitter, I don't think is really active, uh, but at PR Distillery. Um, we have a whole series on YouTube where we have uh, discussions uh, along the, the common thread of the Toro community, uh, those types of things. We have uh, blending workshops uh, on there that you can archive back to our, our early days. Um, and, um, me personally, I am not super active, although I'm thinking of, uh, re-upping my social media presence. So you can find me at crystal, um, PRD, uh, PRD for Puerto Rico distillery, uh, on Instagram and, um, and yeah, that's it. So, um, definitely look us up. We are located in Frederick, Maryland, um, across from the Frederick Airport. Um, and um, we look forward to sharing um, some stories and experiences with you. Perfect. I thank you, my sister, Crystal Rivera Pagan. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you do with um, the culture, the distillery languages, creating space. I am very proud of you. I'm proud of what you guys have created. And so I appreciate you coming on here to share and having these conversations with me. Anytime, doctor. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can follow our work on all social media platforms at Language Policy Consulting. And if you'd like to support us, you can find us on liberapay.com slash language policy consulting forward slash again. Until soon.